0: Welcome to the Varieties of History podcast. I am your host, Sarah, and each week I will discuss a new topic that is often unrelated, but hopefully interesting. Spanning from the social sciences to cultural history, as well as religion and other disciplinary fields, we invite you to listen, learn, and expand your knowledge here with us on the Varieties of History podcast. Hey guys, and welcome to the Varieties of History. Today I'm going to be talking to you about the brief origins of Native people and archaeology in Pennsylvania. So I know that in this show I tend to do some Pennsylvania history more than other varieties, which I will get to other varieties at some point. I just really do enjoy talking about the state and the area that I live in because There's a lot of history that is just in this region that I think is just so fascinating um, that I think without talking about that first, it's like I'm skipping over all the interesting things that are right here, right around the corner from my home. So as somebody who has a bachelor's degree in archaeology and unfortunately has never worked in the field making money off of archaeology, I have worked... Um, doing artifact analysis and, um, archiving and I did field work and internships with archaeology. I just unfortunately never made it my job. Um, maybe at some time in the future I could, but working in the museum setting, I was able to use my knowledge from doing internships and archiving and working and doing internships in different places and archiving, and all of that, I think, um, you know, it has helped me to understand history a little bit better, and I really love material culture, even though I'm not a materialist myself. Like, if it was up to me, I think I've said it before, I'm very minimalist. If I was able to be minimalist, I'd have a room with a chair and a table, and, like, that's it. (laughs) But I have a family that likes to have lots of stuff. So, but I love the study of material culture and I love the study of artifacts and um, just things that humans have created and made for themselves over time to see how we have evolved and changed over millions of years, you know? So anyway, to start off this particular episode... It might be worth mentioning that the history of Native people in the Pennsylvania region, which also includes New Jersey, New York, and Delaware and Maryland, has been a rich and diverse one. Even within their own particular tribes, so saying the Leni Lenape, for example. So the Leni Lenape, who are one of the main groups of Native peoples found in this region during the time of colonial settlement, even today have a rich history that isn't presented enough in the retelling of our own local history here in Pennsylvania, for example, at least on my eastern side of Pennsylvania. And I'm, I think I say it on every episode, I'm losing my voice, so just bear with me. Um, let's begin by talking about the origins of Native people in Pennsylvania, So there's an example in the Meadowcroft Rock rock Shelter in Washington County, Pennsylvania. This was the earliest recorded archaeological site in North America and Western Pennsylvania. So that's about 19,400 BCE, according to the Pennsylvania Historic Museum Commission. I actually used to work for them. (laughs) Um, And then... Found in this particular place, the Meadowcroft Rock Shelter, were Clovis Point Stone tools and the largest collection of animal and plant remains in eastern North America. Unless that has changed since I wrote this article in 2016, I'm not sure. But I'm going to just go based off of what my 2016 article says from the Chadsford Historical um, Society WordPress site. They also found fire pits which carbon date from 16,000 to 14,000 BCE. BCE just stands for before common era. People usually think of AC, I was going to say ACDC, but that's not quite what I'm looking for here. (laughs) Um, BC and AD, some people say it's before Christ and after death. That's how you usually think about it, even though that's not what it is. But um, uh, it's changed. It's either BCE or CE. It's been changed for a long time now. You still see BC and AD in places. It's okay, but um, the more um, widely used one today is BCE and CE, Common Era and Before Common Era. Okay, so not found in Meadowcroft were any were any types of writings, um, no written language or even currency that. They could tell, like, based on looking at this site. This collection of findings shows us that people were living in the Pennsylvania region, in our region, um, prior to the Sumerian civilization in Mesopotamia in 4000 BCE and the early dynastic period of ancient Egypt in 3000 BCE. Now, this is funny that I'm even reading this because yesterday when I was at work, I had... Stumbled upon this book that was just randomly left on the counter, and I left it there um, because I can't take the book home because I didn't ba- ba- pay for it. But it's it was a book about ancient civilizations, and this particular author and I'm not sure if he was a historian, an archaeologist, uh, and it, what he worked in and why he wrote the book. I just briefly glanced at it and was like, oh I should read this." It was about ancient civilizations that predated, um, these particular, um, societies, like, so the Sumerian civilization and Egypt and all of that. And they were, um, oh my goodness, I can't remember exactly who, but there were a number of, um, indigenous tribes to the Americas and America, North America, especially, um, taught, well, I'm just going to say like the Mississippian culture was one of them that I can remember. Uh, and they go into detail about how there are so many um, similarities between the things that they that they did and then that you find elsewhere in the world later on, like hundreds of years or thousands of years, or maybe sometimes at the same time uh, later. But they um, were also talking about, and I didn't read it, so I would like to review this book at some point. And it had to do with these particular cultures. And I'm just going to say the Mississippian. That's one of them. And, like, but I'm not saying that this, this, they had any influence by, um, the Celts. But there was something within the book. Because I was just flipping through and looking at pictures. And they had, like, some Celtic influence. And they talked about Celtic influence within the new North America but I really don't know what the argument was. But it's just interesting. I just figured I'd bring it up. I don't even know the name of the book. <laughs> um, but it had to do with something similar. So so in North America, you have these indigenous cultures that were thriving and living in, in, on this continent even prior to these other big civilizations that we talk about within the frame of world history and ancient history and how when we look at history and whenever I have studied world history and I'm sorry I'm going off tangent here for like a second down a rabbit hole or whatever you want to call it it's it's funny how when we study world history we're usually started off in the realm of these like Babylonian or Sumerian or Egyptian or these particular um civilizations that had to do with what we would call the old world right if you're reading like the new world and the old world in your history books (laughs) about like history textbooks or whatever and how it changed it changed um over time where people had begun to find more evidence of of societies that thrived and were, were in existence before these ones that we typically think like, oh, everything started here in Europe, which it didn't, (laughs) or in Asia, which it didn't. And then it kind of just, you know, it goes from there. And then we kind of focus on North America and South America kind of separately at different times. And not looking at them from the perspective that they did have these civilizations that were way older. And were very advanced in the things that they did. So I would hope that you maybe would go in at some point to a library. And try to look at some information about particular cultures that lived in North America. Pre all these other ancient world civilizations. And find out how do they connect what makes them important, and why are we leaving out? Why are we leaving them out? Why are historians leaving them out of the historical narrative as they fit in perfectly in the beginning stages of what we would say are like the foundations of human settlement and, and human um, cultural advancements and, and all of these amazing things. So I'm going to just take a quick break and when I come back I'm going to actually talk to you a little bit more about um, the indigenous population here in Pennsylvania and a little bit more about, forgive my my voice, it is just ridiculous. I sound like I've been chain smoking for like an entire day and I haven't because I don't smoke. Maybe it's just talking too much. (laughs) But when I come back, I'll talk about these things and a little bit of archaeology too. So stick with me and I will be right back. And I am back. Thank you for sticking around if you did. Um, So I'm going to talk a little bit about um, just more about the indigenous population here. So let me just continue on with what I was talking about before. And um, that was the Meadowcroft Rock Shelter. And... They didn't find any written language or currency and they were there before Sumerian um, civilization and ancient Egypt and all that fun stuff. These individuals were seasonal hunter-gatherers. And the types of animals that they would have hunted that were native to the area were caribou, elk, fish, and deer. They also gathered a variation of seasonal plants such as hawthorn plums and blackberries. Two other archaeological sites, Shawnee Minnesink in Monroe County, which is 12,000 BCE, according to the PHMC, the Pennsylvania Historic Museums Commission, and Shoup in Dauphin County, which is between the um, years of, um, or the dates of 9,000 to 9500 BCE, according to the State Museum of Pennsylvania. Uh, show similarities between the groups living in each region based on their hunting migration patterns. Now, just a brief aside for the Shawnee Minisink. Now, if you live in New Jersey, I know um, when I lived in Jersey near um, Brookdale Community College and, oh geez, I can't even think of where it is anymore. I only went there for like a hundred years. Um, but there's, I think there's like a Road and. Some other, like, things with Minisync in the title, which is taking that name from the local indigenous population that existed there at at one point, Um, but nearly 13,000 years old. And this is coming from a PHMC road marker um, that are all over the state of Pennsylvania. So if you've ever been in the state of Pennsylvania or if you're from Pennsylvania, you should be familiar with these. There are these signs that have been placed all over the place by, uh, all over the state by PHMC that, um, just give a little description of the, um, the historical importance of that particular place. So right here's an uh, historical marker. It's blue, it's metal, it's kind of tall and has yellow writing on it. And I will try to post it on my Facebook page. <clears throat> so it says Shawnee Minnesink, Archaeological site, nearly 13,000 years old. Uh, This location near the confluence of the Delaware River and the Broadhead Creek is one of the earliest dated Native American sites in the northeastern U.S. Archaeological investigations uncovered hundreds of stone tools left by the early inhabitants around a series of campfires. Remains of fish and fruit provided evidence of a more diverse diet than expected or the Late Ice Age. The Paleo- And this is not on the sign anymore. I'm done reading the sign. The Paleo-Indian period dates to the Pleistocene, or Ice Age. Even though glaciers melted up to Canada, the average temperatures in Pennsylvania were at least 10 degrees cooler than they are presently, and the Pennsylvania region was covered by a beautiful- I, I just could only imagine how beautiful it was. A spruce pine forest- with limited quantity of oak or other deciduous trees that we find everywhere today. So it was completely different landscape. Uh, there are dis- disputed roots from where the Paleo-Indian population may have migrated from. And there's a picture that I will also post on my Facebook page. And it presents a commonly, in this picture, a commonly known migration route originally developing in Africa... And eventually crossing over from Asia into North America through the Bering Strait, if any of you have heard of that before. They use glaciers as a land guide. Uh, Many, many Native people have their own origin stories about how they were always part of the land that they lived on since the time of their creation. And we know about the origin stories because I talked about it in the last episode, if you've listened to that If you haven't, please take a listen. But will we ever know for sure? We don't know. Um, The archaeological record is fascinating, and sometimes that takes time to figure out. Archaeologists use a number of techniques in order to understand their findings with each site that they dig. Now, before I go into the the type of techniques, and I'm not going to talk about each one in detail, I'm just going to give you a list of what there are and you could do research for yourself. But if you were actually interested in wanting to know more, please contact me and I can um, write up a little bit of information for you. But I want to go back for a minute when talking about the indigenous population here or anywhere in regards to what archaeologists. And this is this is um, something that has gone on for a really long time within the archaeological community because there are archaeologists who um, typically tend to be of a particular background and they are trying to use a particular type of scientific evidence in order to form um, a theory about where people came from or where they migrated from or how they got to where they were. And, how that all panned out. And so there are some that that would argue that they came from... Like all life started in Africa, right? If you're thinking about evolution and if you're using evolution as your main um, point and going off of that, then your main evolutionary theory would start off on the continent of Africa. And then eventually over millions of years, you have people who are eventually going to filter out into different places. So there's one that suggests that people, you know, they started in Africa and then they eventually made their way through uh, through Europe. And then some went through one way and then the others went a completely opposite way through Asia. And then there was a discussion about how people started in Africa, went um, through parts of Asia into the United States. Well, what we know as the United States, North America, through the Bering Strait into North America. I'm not saying the United States. Why would I even say that? And then down through North and uh, Central and South America. There's another theory that suggests that people started off in Africa and went up and um, to the left, kind of, if you're looking at the map the way I'm looking at it, they went over and they they rode like they rode on boats or some type of device along ice sheets or against glaciers around where you'd see like greenland and iceland and all these all the way into where canada is and then they'd make their way down into north america that way but this conflicts with indigenous creation stories so yes there may be people of a particular tribe or nation or band or wherever they they are from who will take take on the archaeological evidence that is posed to them as evidence of them of migra- migration and pat migration patterns and allowing them to see like this is actually where you came from, and this is this is the story you should believe because this is what science is telling us. But does that make sense all the time? I mean, there are creation stories from all over the world that will. I think it's important that we listen to people's creation stories in order to understand their cultures better, um, because it puts them at a particular place in time. And it allows them to understand their worldview in a way that's very different than what, like, the scientific community would suggest. And I think that's a problem today between science and religion. Um, I think they can't ever kind of easily come together in order to be respectful or understand one another. It's like they have to pit at each other and if you don't believe in this, you're wrong. Or if you don't believe in this side, you're wrong. But I think it's important to listen to people's creation stories, um especially like let's say the Lenny Lenape, which I talked about last week, because it puts them at a particular place in time and it shows the importance of their culture in this place, and they believe they were placed here at, in this place, and they didn't migrate from anywhere. they were placed here and by their creator, and that's very important. It's very important to the livelihood of their culture and their their belief system and the way that they live. And so I want to suggest that even as somebody who has um, studied archaeology and is supposed to believe in certain ways of following rules within a set standard or certain guidelines that you're supposed to follow in order to study and do archaeology, I think it's important that we don't get too far off from the fact that there are people who are people and they're not just like lost to time like they don't not exist <laughs> there may be some cultures that no longer exist right there may be complete evidence that they crossed this particular path or went this particular way or lived at this particular set- settlement and got there based on a, a road that was found with I don't know, all different kinds of artifacts along it or whatever. But I think it's important to note that just because we still think we have the evidence for something, it doesn't always mean that it's correct because there could be something that suggests otherwise that hasn't been found yet. Right? So it's important to listen to people's stories. And I think that we should always open our minds to understanding people from where they're coming from. Especially when it comes to doing oral histories, archaeological studies, just writing about or reading about the history of something and wanting to know more about it and then professing you know about it, but you haven't really talked to a person who might know a little bit differently than you do. Um, So yeah, I think it's, it's an important thing that we need to do, especially as somebody who has been part of the background that I have been for a really long time. I think as somebody who studies archaeology, um, I think it's important to always remember that th- they offer just as much insight into the study of history and archaeology than like the scientific method does. So anyway, I'm going to go for another quick break. I'll be right back and I will talk to you guys about some dating techniques that are used in archaeological studies. And I'm back. and Thank you for coming back if you did. I know I talk too much. (laughs) So some of the dating techniques used in archaeological study are, but not necessarily all used in the archaeology of Pennsylvania or on every dig site that um, one may encounter if they are going to be an archaeologist and dig in a field somewhere. So these are... Not in any kind of order. They're just a list that I compiled. And you know what? This is from 2016. I have not updated this article. So there may be some new ways of doing archaeological study that are not included here. And there may be some that are no longer being used. But I don't think that's going to be the case here. I think they're most still used. Um, So there's aerial photography. Radiocarbon dating, also known as C14, thermoluminescence, ground penetrating radar or GPR, dendrochronology, stratigraphy, argon argon dating, uranium series dating, daughter deficiency slash daughter excess methods, style analysis, relative dating, pal- paleontological method, potassium argon dating, archaeomagnetic dating, fission track dating, obsidian hydration dating, fluorine dating, optically stimulated luminescence or OSL, and rehydroxylization... Rehydroxylation dating. <laughs> wow. Okay. Past archaeological study was not utilized as a way to understand people groups the way that it is done presently. Little was thought of the indigenous or native peoples without a written language and who, according to past archaeologists, used primitive, and I'm using this in quotes, primitive tools, shelters, and clothing from their surroundings. But luckily, archaeology has changed a lot. I mean, it still has a ways to go, but it's it's doing a lot better. Preservation is something that any serious archaeologist is interested in and is the key element to efficient and truthful archaeological study. Findings of the past are important, not only because they tell a story about the individuals who used particular items, It can also teach us a lot about ourselves and our own past. We can also revisit the challenges of our ancestors and what they face and see how they may have dealt with hardship or adapting to their environment. We can recognize the importance of the tools they used from their surroundings or the foods they subsisted on to give us a better understanding of our own personal health. And especially now in modern day culture, it's, very important to find out more about native i'm just saying native i'm not necessarily native to north america but just native food um sources and um and whatever would be in the particular region of a group that you're studying what they ate and or what they consumed um like whenever you're studying them so like let's say i don't know somebody in a european area in 1500 BC or something like what were they eating right was that important what what made it important for us to know about modern day when we're like going to the store and buying two dollar bag of Cheetos and eating that for like breakfast (laughs) I don't know who does that maybe my kids but (laughs) you know it's really important um and, and for medicinal purposes too like what they used for medicine that came from the herbs and and different types of plants and trees that were growing around them. And how do they even figure that out, you know? And so it's a good way to focus on how we can adapt our present conditions to the past in order to balance ourselves from the overwhelming modern day that we live in right now. So next time I'm on, I will try to discuss... I think I have death and burial practices or that sort of thing after life. Um, for the next episode of our little mini series on the Lenny Lenape culture and um, all of the interesting things that they did and that they are still doing even today. So join me back next time on the next Varieties of History. Bye. We want you and others to know that history is for everyone. If there is any area of history you are intrigued by, have studied, or would be interested in discussing, we welcome you to send us a message via Facebook or email. We would love to have you on the show.